A uh, disciple is defined as one who accepts uh, and assists in the spreading of a doctrine of another. Um, thus, a disciple of Christ is one that follows Christ and helps others come to follow Christ. Now, our God is a God of relationship. From the very beginning in the garden, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were in perfect relationship with one another. Three, yet one. Then the Godhead then created man in his image. In the image of God, we were created. And deep within that image of God is a massive desire for relationship. Humankind, man and woman, desire relationship with one another and with the Creator. As does the Creator, God, with man. Here at Bethany, we believe in the power of relationships. We believe relationships are important because people are important. So if God made humankind to desire a relationship, to need relationship, we want to help those things happen. And that's why we believe in the importance of our small group ministries. Now, as you will see, I'm wearing this lovely green shirt, and there are lots of others wearing them too, and that's not because they want to look like me. Uh, no, that's the uh, signify that they are one of our small group leaders. Um, they're, they're either leading or helping to co-lead a small group that's taking place here at Bethany. And I encourage you, after service, there's going to be an opportunity for you to, to mingle a little bit, to get to know some of those small group leaders, to find a group that would work good for you so that you can get involved in our small groups. Within the last few years, the United States Senate has heard appeals against prison's use of solitary confinement. Now, solitary confinement, or some popular movies have labeled it being thrown into the pit or going to the hole, is a questionable practice. Rikers Island, a New York City um, Department of Corrections facility, said that in 2012, some 15% of adolescent prisoners had spent at least one period of time in solitary confinement, which lasted, on average of 43 days. 43 days alone, with no interaction, um, food slid into a slot of a locked door. One former prisoner said this of that practice. He said, solitary confinement does one thing. It breaks a man's will to live. He ends up deteriorating. He's never the same person again, and in itself it is inhumane, and by its design is driving men insane. As I did some research on this this week, I was, I was kind of baffled, taken aback by um, how much of a controversial issue this is actually inside of the American prison system. But I understood the root cause of the conflict because deep, deep inside the soul of a man or a woman is a need for relationship, for friendship, for companionship. It was hardwired into us from the God of the universe when he created man. Now God's word speaks of that desire for a relationship. In, in the garden when man was lonely, right? God saw that it was not good for man to be alone and he created Eve, right? He created uh, somebody for companionship, for friendship. And then you hear in the story, so in First Samuel you hear of Jonathan. Now Jonathan was the, the blood heir to the throne uh, of Israel. And he had this amazing relationship with David who was the God-ordained uh, next king of Israel. Um, it's cool to see that they had a friendship, even though really there could have been a great controversy between those two people. And then in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, it reads, Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But, but how can one keep warm alone? 
And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We were created for relationship. And that's why the fellowship with Christ's body in this church is a must. Author and minister David Platt wrote this in his book, Follow Me. He said, the room was packed full of people, and the preacher held the audience in the palm of his hand. He said, I'd like everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And he followed, and everybody followed suit. He then declared, tonight, tonight I want to call you to put your faith in God. Tonight I am urging you to begin a personal relationship with Jesus for the first time in your life. Then he said, let me be clear. I'm not inviting you to join the church. I'm inviting you to come to Christ. As the preacher passionately pleaded for a personal decision, scores of people stood from their seat and walked down the aisle of the auditorium to make a commitment to Christ. Yet there was a problem in all of this, said Platt. These people had been deceived. They had been told that it is possible to make a commitment to Christ apart from a commitment to the church. The reality, however, is that it is biblically impossible to follow Christ apart from joining the church. In fact, anyone who claims to be a Christian yet is not an active member or partner of a church may not actually be a follower of Christ at all. Now to some, this, uh, this may seem heretical. Are you saying that joining a church makes someone a Christian? You might ask, well, absolutely not. Joining a church most certainly does not make someone a Christian. Yet Platt goes on to write, at the same time, to identify your life with a person of Christ is to join your life with the people of Christ. To surrender your life to his commands is to commit your life to his church. It is biblically, spiritually, and practically impossible to be a disciple of Christ, and much less to make disciples of Christ, apart from total devotion to a family of Christians. As I read that in this book, I thought, man, that, that's kind of heavy. I mean, really think about that. From the beginning, though, God ordained man for that relationship. And it makes perfect sense that if we are ordained for a relationship, that we should have a relationship with the body of Christ, with his church. Now, you might be thinking, all right, Evan, you're, you're preaching to the choir right now. We're here. It's Sunday morning. We're, we're in, 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 in these seats. We're listening. To, we're fellowshipping with one another in the foyer. Now, God, I believe this is very important for us to meet on Sunday mornings, to worship, to, to study his word together. But I believe God intended much more than maybe the highs and the how are you's and the good mornings that take place on Sunday. We believe here at Bethany that relationships in Christ should go deeper than that. As Christ told his disciples in Mark 3, and there's a situation that occurs. That Jesus is out um, preaching and teaching. He's with a group of people when somebody gives him word that his, his mother and brothers have showed up. They say, your, your, your parents have kind of made its way through the crowd. Your, your, your mom's waiting for you at the edge of, of the crowd. And Jesus looks around at the people and says, who is my mother and brother and sister? And inside of that, he is saying, the blood of doing God's will runs even, even deeper than the blood that runs in my very veins. He's saying that the blood that connects us, the blood of Christ, is deeper than the blood that actually runs through our body. And we believe in that deepening of relationship inside of this place, and specifically that through uh, living together as a church and inside of small groups is one way that you can do that. You see, in a small group, you'll find support, you'll find friendship, you'll find encouragement, you'll begin to build lasting and meaningful relationships with those in that group. 
Now, we are all somewhere on this path of growth in our life. For some of you, you've just joined the journey, right? You, you've recently come um, to give your life to Christ in, in baptism. You began a new commitment. You are now looking for the next step in that journey with Christ. For others, you've been on the path for a while, for years, seeking uh, Christ and growing in fellowship and desiring to take continual steps forward to honor Christ and to deepen relationships with His body. And still yet, many of us are somewhere in between. You may have given your life to Christ years ago, but you've never began the next step of the journey. You're not sure what that might be, or, or you, you've known the path of growth and discipleship before, but you found that lately you've been on more of a path of destruction, or you've, you're in a rut and you're just not going anywhere. Wherever you're at, I believe that deep inside of each of us, there is a, a desire and an understanding that we are wired for relationship. Not for isolation, not to be thrown into the pit or to go to the hole. You know that there is a need for community, a need for friendship, a need for companionship inside of this body of Christ. So how do you become a part of it? That's the question we asked this morning. How do you become a part of that fellowship? And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at a relationship and a discipleship path, a path that I learned years ago from a church, uh, my home church. Uh, and it means, means a lot to me. And the first is this. And we need to risk a conversation when it comes to relationships. In the book of Acts, in chapter 8, is recorded a situation where justice takes place. There's a risking of a conversation. Um, it's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, Philip listened and uh, had been told to go on to Gaza, to head south towards Gaza. So he headed out, and on his way to Gaza, he, uh, he saw a, a chariot with this Ethiopian court official in it. Now, the Ethiopian would have been a long way from home, uh, full of curiosity about God. Um, he had likely heard of this supposed Messiah that had been crucified. The Ethiopian would have uh, come to, a, he came to worship in Jerusalem, and he was leaving with a, a very important scroll in his hand. He was leaving with uh, the scroll of Isaiah in his hand. It would have been expensive in that day to, to have gotten the scroll on written, uh, written form in Isaiah. And he's reading it, and that's where Philip sees his opportunity. So if you can imagine the scene with me, Philip's walking down this desert road when this chariot comes by, and he hears a guy reading Isaiah, and what does he do? He goes and begins to run alongside the chariot. That's where, that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, verses 30 and 31. It says, so Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? The reply was this, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You see, what happens inside of that is key. Both Philip and the Ethiopian risk a conversation, both the seeker and the one being sought. Philip ran alongside the, the, the chariot and was able to say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the Ethiopian had to risk the conversation back and say, how can I? They, they both risk the conversation in this moment. And the story continues in, in verses 34 and 36 of chapter 8. It says, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I asked you does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him of the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? To begin a relationship we must be prepared to risk a conversation. We all know this. We, we all know what it means to begin a relationship. You think about any friendship you have or, or maybe a dating relationship that you're in or, or, or maybe the marriage to your spouse. Now, you remember that risk of a conversation inside of that relationship. 
I remember it uh, like yesterday, the day I decided to ask my wife, uh, Aaron, to, to begin a dating relationship. Uh, we had been uh, <clears throat> friends for, for quite a while, a year or so, and, and I, it was, a, it was a late in August, August the 30th, 31st, one of those two days, I don't remember for sure. Uh, but I, all I do remember is that two days earlier, she had made me a banana cream pie for my birthday. So she had made me banana cream pie, she had won my heart through her baking. Uh, no, I, I had long before that decided that I think it was time to ask that, that question. But we sat on the chapel steps of the school that we were going to at the time, and, you know, my heart's pounding. I'm thinking, what am I going to say right now? I've got to ask her if she wants to date me. And, and when I asked her that question, and she said yes, thankfully. Uh, and three months later, I, I asked her another big question, risked another conversation, asked her to marry me. Uh, and uh, the rest is history, I suppose. Uh, but, uh, but it took a, a risking of a conversation. And in any relationship takes that risk. In the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 10, we hear the story of, of Jesus and this rich young man, right? Rich young man comes up to Jesus, he runs up to him, he, he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the story is often used to talk about, you know, lordship and that Jesus should be our Lord overall and we can't make wealth and possessions, right? Because Jesus said go and sell everything. We, we understand that story and that's the way we, we should look at it. But what I like to look at is the man. The first initial step that he took was, was very important. He risked the conversation to begin a relationship. He ran up to Jesus. That took a risk on that man's part. Now, whether you are the seeker or the one being sought, it takes two to tango, right? And it takes two to risk a conversation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we hear this. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's talking about the risk of helping others come to this, uh, this knowledge of relationship and, and risking that conversation with them. As disciples of Christ, whether the seeker or already the one following, it, we must risk conversation to deepen relationship. But second, we need to know this, that we need to get connected. Now, when I say connection, our minds are all drawn to a whole slew of different things. When you think about it, here are a few things that, that came to my mind. Social networks, right? If you're a young person, social networks are kind of a big thing right now. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, the list could go on. It's endless. And there are all types of social networks with the purpose of connecting people to people and people to information. And our world over the last 10 years has been dra dramatically changed through, through this social networking right? Or, or what about cell phones? Or nowadays, they seem to like cell devices. They have all kinds of crazy features, all these things they can do. Oh, you know, 25 years ago, if you wanted to reach somebody, you called and you left a voicemail when they weren't at home, right? You didn't call them on their cell phone until they picked up. Right? Nowadays, you just keep calling until they finally pick up. They're, in, they're, they're instantly available to you. And the kids, when you left home as a kid, you didn't have a cell phone. I was talking to an eighth grade football player of mine. He, he, at eight years old, he got his first cell phone. I'm thinking, that's crazy, right? Like, it used to be a mom would say, call me when you get to so-and-so's house. Now it's like, I'll just call you whenever I want to call you, right? Or computers. Now, for you younger folks in the room under maybe the age of 20, about 30 years ago, when you wanted to look up information, there was this thing that got sold door to door. It's called the encyclopedia. All right? <laughs> some, some of these, the younger folks probably would never know what even an encyclopedia is. Nowadays, right, you get online, you, you Google it, right? Go to Google and you Google that, and sure enough, there's information, there's pictures, there's videos all present because you wanted to get connected to that information. 
Those are things we're connected with, but we're also connected by things. In, in community, we're connected with interests. As a kid, maybe it was a, a, a scouting group or a band or a club. As an adult, it could be work or a hobby or a sports team. Because we all know that if we walk into the room and somebody's wearing the white and blue with the horseshoe stamped on it, they're automatically your friend, right? They're automatically like, oh yeah, you, you cheer on the Colts, we can, we can get along together. Right? Connecting is a powerful thing. It's very clear. And in the next step of any relationship, you are going beyond the highs and hellos. You're going beyond the pleasantries. You're beginning to risk the conversation, yes, but now you are connecting with that person. In a Christ-centered relationship, connection with the church is seen in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You recognize that when you step into this faith in Christ, you become a part of the wonderful masterpiece that is God's church and God working in and through his church. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, um, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that he recalls his tears. He talks about longing to see Timothy. He says something similar in, in uh, uh, the letter to the church at Thessalonica. He says, out of our intense longing, we've made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. You see what Paul's saying in both of those, those letters is, I, I want to get connected. I want to see you again. I want to share a relationship with you. And in any relationship, and especially the relationship with the body of Christ, we must go beyond the pleasantries. We must go beyond um, the highs and hellos and move into connection. Building a bond together, a desire to see one another, to connect through life situations, and ultimately to connect in Christ. Then from there, it's time to make a commitment. You have to make a commitment. Now, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest missionaries to have ever walked this earth, knew of what it meant to be a disciple of Christ, and he knew the power of commitment. We, we find that, and specifically the commitment to the local body of Christ, as he writes these letters to Timothy. Right? He left Timothy in Ephesus to care for this church because he knew that they needed somebody that was committed to the truth and committed to the body of Christ. Paul knew that for this church to succeed, he had to leave somebody there that was committed. And through the letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, that are found in our, our Bibles today, we hear these truths. In First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer. He goes on in chapter 4, verse 15, he says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Then in the, into the second letter, one of the letters that we believe Paul wrote right near his death in verse 14, he says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Saying, you need to be committed to the word and to the body there. Now if you've ever went through the process of, of purchasing your home, you will know that when you get serious about a home investment, of buying a home, they ask you to put down something called an earnest payment. We probably, some of you guys have purchased homes, understand what an earnest payment is, right? It's a security deposit uh, made with a, a commitment of demonstrating that you're in good faith going to make sure this transaction gets completed. And you're asked to give a, a fairly decent sum of money, uh, money that if you back out for personal reasons will not be refunded to you. Now, when it comes to deepening your relationships with Christ and with his church, no one's going to ask you to put down an earnest payment. Um, but it will take commitment. And a commitment to say, I'm in. I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to be a, a part of ministry with you. I'm going to share this faith with you. I'm going to encourage you. 
I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to walk alongside you in this journey that we call faith and life together as the church, as the body of Christ. And when those things happen, when you risk that conversation and you begin to get connected and you make a commitment, you begin to live in community. Fish are interesting animals. Uh, a vast majority of fish have a primal instinct to live in community. Now, according to the North Carolina Aquariums, fish swim in schools because schooling protects them from predators, encourages reproduction, and makes it easier to find food. They go on to say schooling also conserves energy. I never knew this, that, uh, that fish can actually draft off the fish in front of them. All you NASCAR fans out there, they're drafting when they're swimming down the, the, the river, right? Um, they, they do that to help them be able to swim longer distances. And ultimately, fish swim in schools and live in community because it is what is best for them. They are made to live like that. Similar to a school of fish, we are made for community. We are made in the image of God. A God that, as I said, three in one, Father, Spirit, and Son, lived in community with one another, live in community with one another. And that same community is ingrained in our DNA. You need a community. You need to be living in this, specifically the community of Christ followers. And we're not talking about the hellos, the highs, the good mornings. We're talking about a deep fellowship, sharing life with one another. Robert Banks said this. He said, the gospel is not purely a personal matter. It has a social dimension to it. It's a communal affair. To embrace the gospel then is to enter into community. A person cannot have one without the other. Now, the term community is defined as a unified body of individuals. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says this, uh, as the message of Christ is beginning to spread rapidly in the early church, it says in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That shows some unity. That shows a community taking place. Just earlier in verse 42, it said they had devoted themselves together to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Or later on, just a few chapters later in chapter 4, verse 32, it says all the believers were one in heart. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Community or a devotion and commitment. It's a, a unifying of individuals. You see, community is the byproduct of the first three steps. You risk that conversation, you've gotten connected, you've made a commitment, and now you begin to experience what it's like to live in community. And when that happens, powerful things happen for the cause of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says this of the early church. It says, they were praising God, they were enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Or in chapter 4, verse 33, it says, with great power the apostles continued, they continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I don't know about you, but those are the things I hope people say about Bethany Christian Church, maybe even some thousands of years from now, that God added to our number daily, those who are being saved, that the grace and power of Christ was working in all of us because we were living together in unity. So you see, when you risk conversation, when you begin that relationship, when you make a connection and get committed to the church, a deep community begins to take place. And then you get to stand on the other side of the equation. You see, it's reciprocating, right? You, you've gone through that yourself. You've begun to live in community. What do you get to do? You get to help call other people into that same community. You get to risk the conversation. You, you get to help others get connected. You get to, to, to help them be committed 
and then they too get to live in community, and then they reciprocate along with you again. And it's a constant process of helping others come to know what it's like to live in the body of Christ, to live in community with one another. Five young men by the name of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCullen, Pete Fleming, and Roger Yadirin desperately wanted others to come to the saving grace and knowledge of Christ. These five men had a heart for a specific group, a savage tribe in Ecuador. And in February of 1952, that journey to bring the gospel to this Indian tribe um, began its, its, uh, its journey. Elliot and Fleming arrived in Ecuador. And over the next four years, they began to perfect how they were going to share the gospel. And in early 1955, these men began to risk the conversation. They, they began to make, a, uh, make contact with these, this Indian tribe by airplane. They would take that airplane and swing it around in circles over and over and over again while a basket with different goodies in it um, was landed uh, around this tribe that they could pick it up and find things and begin to make that connection. But they realized that wasn't enough. They had to go deeper than just risking that little swirling around in the, their plane. They had, to, they had to get closer, so they began to land that plane on a riverbank near this tribe, and they began to make a connection with these people and to start to have conversation. And they said, we gotta, we've got to do more. We've got we to be committed. So on one of those journeys in January 8th of 1956, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCollin, Pete Fleming, and Roger Udearin landed that plane and got out just like a normal visit with this tribe, but were met with resistance. And the five men, although carrying weapons themselves, were killed, speared to death. Their lives were taken for the cause of Christ. They wanted them to understand what it was like to live in community. Eliot was famously quoted as saying this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. His expression of his belief in a journal showed his dedication to Jesus was more important even than his physical life. Yet the powerful thing is the story didn't end there. You see, just months later, Elizabeth Saint reached out to the same tribe again. This was the sister of one of these men that had been speared to death. And she began to make a connection with them. She was accepted and was able to commit to them and was actually beginning, began to live with them. She shared Jesus with them and they became Christ followers themselves. Years later, one of the same men that had speared Nate Saint to death, one of those young men, became a, became a father figure to Nate's son. One of the men that had killed those five guys later baptized one of their daughters in the same river that the five bodies were found. God began to show them what it was like to live in community and many of them came to know Christ. All because of five young men who knew what it was like to live together in unity, to share a, a common purpose, to be created for that relationship. And they wanted others to come to know that too. I'm not sure where you're at this morning. Maybe for, for you, for months now, you've, you've come to church, you've walked in these doors late, and, and you slipped out as quickly as possible with having as minimal conversation as you can, and you're recognizing, today I need, a, I need to risk a little bit of conversation with people around me. Maybe for you the conversations are being had, but you try to keep, uh, keep it as vague as possible. A sinful past of destruction and, and problem is scaring you away from making any real connection with any other 
person in here. Let me, let me tell you this this morning. We are all broken. We are all in need of Christ the Savior. We all have things of our past, of sins that needed to be washed by the blood of Christ and are being washed by the blood of Christ. And you're recognizing today, I need to get connected. Or maybe, maybe today you're saying, I'm not just going to be connected any longer. I'm going to be committed. I'm committing to the partnership. I'm committing to further growth. I'm committing to living in community. I'm not sure where you're at this morning. You may be past these things. You may have gone through this process, and now you're recognizing, I need to start reciprocating. I need to start sharing that with others. I need to start risking the conversation so that others come to the same knowledge. Or maybe this is all very foreign. You're saying, I don't know about any of this. And you need to risk the conversation to start the best relationship you'll ever start in your life, that with Christ. You need to get connected with Him. And you need to make a commitment through baptism this morning. No matter where you're at today, I believe that we all have next level steps. Steps that we need to take. And as we stand and as we sing the song here in a moment, I'm going to encourage you, if you need to make that initial step of relationship to come and to see someone that will be here by the, the baptistry mat and along with some others will be there. Or if you're just saying, you know, I just need some prayer. I've got some of those next step things I need to do with community and relationships. I'm going to be over here and I'd love to pray with you. Or if you'd like to just commit those to prayer yourself and you'd like to come and bow at these steps, I encourage you to do that. Then as you leave from this place, you'll notice that all these people in these bright green shirts will be kind of mingling around out there. And I encourage you to, to risk that conversation with them. Find out when their small group meets. Figure out if, if it's something you can get connected with. Find the group that works best for you and get involved with that and make a commitment to, to go in and study and throughout the week and, and, and allow them to minister to you and be encouraged by them, be challenged by them, and then you'll get to do the same thing to them. You get to live in community. Whatever that step is you need to take today, I'd encourage you to do it.